Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jarek Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On this week's episode, I am joined by Nate Piper. Nate refers to himself as an alphabet artist who works across publishing, performance, and video. He maintains an ongoing research practice on queer punk zines of the late 80s and early 90s. He just finished his MFA at the Yale School of Art and previously worked as a designer at the Milwaukee Art Museum and organized a conversation series while he was there called Designers Talking. I'd been interested in Nate's work for a few years as we uh, sort of knew each other over Twitter, but really got excited about the work he was doing while he was at Yale. It felt like his practice had really expanded and grew and shifted, and I was really curious to talk to him about that experience. We also talk about the role of writing and research in his practice, his early interest in dialogue and conversation, and of course, what he means when he calls himself an alphabet artist. I think he's doing some really interesting and and important work right now and just really enjoyed having him on the show. If you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year. Members get an exclusive monthly newsletter that I think of as the sort of director's commentary track of the podcast. Each month I share additional content, episode previews, and short essays and thoughts related to the themes of the podcast. These memberships help keep the podcast going. I just really appreciate all of your support and hope that you enjoy this conversation with Nate Piper. yourself as an alphabet artist Mm -hmm. what is an alphabet artist well it's honestly it's part partly it's a way for me to not have to explain what i do Um, all right but also a good start it also explains everything for me just because um for me encapsulates writing and uh design work and independent work um and working with language in different ways making fonts Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just a way for me to get out of having to box myself in, I guess. Wait, so, so where, how do you, how did you arrive at that term then? I love that. I mean, I love, I love what you said, but how, how do you arrive at the term alphabet artist? Cause I mean, this is something you've made, you made up for yourself, mm-hmm. right? How, how'd that happen? Uh, it was actually, um, there, uh, there was somewhere where I saw someone described uh, the work of a font artist as an, as alphabet art. And oh, interesting. I thought that was really um, generous and poetic and beautiful. Um, and so I just adopted it because uh, I like the way it sounded. Yeah, I like it. I, it it's, I saw it in a couple places when I was researching you, and I thought it was a, an, interesting, an interesting title. And now kind of hearing its background. Or kind of what it means. I actually like it a lot. Let's go back in time a little bit then to kind of maybe like the trajectory that got you to call yourself an, an alphabet artist maybe. And just so so you come from a design background or a graphic design background, right? Is mm-hmm. that was that? Yeah. So did you study graphic design? Yeah, I studied uh, graphic design at the Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, and then practiced as a graphic designer for four years after that. And so you you worked at the Milwaukee Art Institute, or is that the Milwaukee Art Museum? Art Museum. And was that 
those whole four, four years were you there? Yes. And so what was, what kind of work were you doing there? I worked at the Whitney for a short period of okay. time, so I have some experience of in-house museum mm-hmm. work, but what was that, what was your experience like there? Uh, so we had a small team of three designers, um, and we did everything from object labels to exhibition campaigns to uh, wall texts and uh, membership events and mm-hmm. you know uh, things for the store. Basically, any sort of uh, design needs that the museum had. Did you, you know, doing that kind of work like like wall texts and kind of branding stuff? Was that did that fulfill? the kind of creative interest that you had that got you into graphic design originally, or was that kind of stretching the, the uh, I don't know, creative muscles that you were, you know, kind of thinking about and interested in? Uh, yes and no, both. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, in some ways it was fulfilling just because um, I was able to put my skills to use, and in other ways I felt like... Uh, it wasn't the work I wanted to be making, and so by the end of the day, when I wanted to work on my own projects, I was pretty drained because yeah, I yeah, sold my labor to someone else. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why I kind of asked that question in such a leading way. Um, I should have just phrased it how I'm going to say it now. But I first discovered you. Or I first heard about you through a series that you did called um, called Designers Talking, mm-hmm. um, and. I was working as an in-house graphic designer in San Francisco when I saw that, and I felt like we were similar, just based on the, the, the work that you did and then the fact that you were doing this other thing, where I also, you know, studied graphic design, had this interest in graphic design, and then was working as a graphic designer, and it felt... Um, like, kind of like decorating, it was kind of like... I was just like moving things around until it looked good and it wasn't where my actual interest was and I was interested in discourse and conversation and criticism and I felt like you were that way too based on you know living in different parts of the country what I could see and so the question I guess was I'm curious kind of how similar we actually were before we decided to go to grad school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's I uh, I mean it's it's hard to say. it's like looking back now I wasn't like if I look at the me like four or five you know four years ago I wasn't like fulfilled necessarily but I think in the day-to-day I was um you know finding ways to enjoy myself I uh had some really great close co-workers for a okay. while yeah that um made the tough times bearable <laughs> right uh but I right. think ultimately I just had a lot of questions that weren't being answered and I wanted to find answers to them outside of that. And was, so, so I have two questions. Um, and one of them is, was, was projects like the designers talking series, was that a way to kind of see if you could attempt to answer those questions or to get some of those things that you weren't kind of getting in, in the work? So that's one question. Then I guess the bigger question is for, for listeners who don't know what that is, can you just kind of describe what that series was and sure. kind of what your role, how you kind of started that and where that came from. Mm-hmm. So Designers Talking was a, a, a dialogue series that I hosted for two years in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 
and I basically um, invited designers from around the country to come to Milwaukee for a weekend and um, on a Friday they uh, we had a day-long residency uh, and the designers would produce work for like eight hours and sometimes Just anything anything and sometimes they came with plans other times you know we would uh, the morning we would wake up, uh, we'd kind of just roll with it. Um, I think one of my favorite ones is when uh, Hassan Rahim was in okay. town, and he we didn't have any plans. And the morning of, we wake up, and he says, "Okay, I think I want to go to the library." So we went to the library, and we uh, found a bunch of books. Just like cruised around and found books, and he took photos, and uh, he said, "I think I'm going to make a, a really long poster out of this." Um, and so I said, "Oh, sure." So so we go to the um, print shop. He said, no, I want to go to a gravestone engraver first. <laughs> so then we like uh, went like outside of town to find this gravestone engraver and uh, he said, can you engrave something for me in like three hours? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, sure. So um, we left, we w went and printed the really long poster and uh, went and picked up the engraved pieces and uh, then uh, installed it. So with all the designers, after it was finished, wherever it was at, we would just mm -hmm. install the work in a gallery space okay. that it was hosted at. And there was an opening, and people could come and see the work and talk about it and think about it. And then the next day, we had a dialogue uh, with the designer about their work, about their interests and passions. And uh, the work kind of uh, gave the conversation a context and a... Um, mm -hmm in a, like a place to kind of uh, yeah. start. Where, how'd you come up with this? Was this, you did this all on your own? You're in your like early twenties um, and you're getting these designers to come in. How, where'd that idea even come from? Well, it started because I, so for my senior project in undergrad, I also hosted a dialogue series called Young Tongues. Okay. And uh, it was much more local. I mean, there were some designers from Chicago and Minneapolis that came, but basically, I um, there were there were a lot of um, underlying issues in the discipline that uh, weren't being addressed in my education. It didn't mm -hmm. seem like they were being addressed in the real world, mm -hmm. and uh, I was frustrated about that. And I wanted to try to get to the bottom of it. So that dialogue series was a way to talk with designers who I thought were. Um, whose work uh, addressed some of those questions that I had, and but one thing that while while like the series was like a good way to get started, one thing that um, wasn't as successful was that because we were just talking about these subjects, it got hypothetical really fast yeah. and just yeah. like totally. <clears throat> it became pretty like unproductive and like just this mm -hmm. oh you know like. Um, head in the clouds conversation about like design and ethics and these things and it just wasn't it wasn't uh, it wasn't getting anywhere it was just kind of um, self-serving it felt like so interesting yeah inviting designers to produce new work allowed this the conversation to be right contextualized were you as a student and and you kind of have these questions and you felt like there were things that weren't being addressed and that you were you were kind of trying to think about or, or get more people to talk about 
what were your were you, were you the only one like were were your kind of classmates thinking about this also was there kind of dialogue happening or kind of what was that environment like that you know even kind of allowed you and, and I don't mean allowed as in like uh -huh. said you could do this but provided a platform that you know you could kind of structure these conversations you know what I you know what I mean was, was yeah. this I guess what I'm asking is like what was what was the kind of discussion like in in the environment before these organized dialogues started? I think it was actually like being with uh, fellow students that prompted a lot of these questions because I think you know um, there were we were there were a lot of us asking questions yeah and uh, and the um, the, uh, we weren't finding answers from right. necessarily our professors or, um, from, um, I mean, I'm not trying to like shit on my... Right. No, no, no. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Um, I was, I, I had like an, I really enjoyed my time there, but there was, uh, just a lot of like questions that we had and we would have, you know, I think like any school you just have like late nights at the studio and yep. you're up late and uh yeah so i think that was probably where some of that came from yeah no i mean i know exactly what you mean i i feel like there were a group of us in school and undergrad who were kind of like asking these questions also and i just don't think we were organized enough to think we should ask these questions at a bigger scale or try to like do something about it it was just complaining and so I, I'm kind of curious like that's kind of what I was getting at, is like kind of you know that that you realize you could kind of turn these questions into a project yeah you know what I mean yeah uh and it doesn't it doesn't even have to you don't have to just talk about it from the school perspective but even when it was designers talking that designers talking was uh basically it was I mean at the time I considered it my practice I mean it's in, it's interesting to hear you to kind of say that that's that was your practice because this is something that I've been kind of thinking about a lot about what constitutes my practice and I realized that one of the threads throughout kind of everything that I did and am still doing is conversation and dialogue uh, and and this the the kind of exchange of ideas instead of just you know either me just kind of writing something, kind of putting it out there, or making something or something, but actual, the conversation itself uh, is the practice, or is a big part of the practice, mm -hmm. uh, and it sounds like it was the same, mm -hmm. same for you. Yeah, there is a, um, I mean, I really enjoyed having conversations with people, um, and that was like the, that was how like uh, I was able to, um, like construct a position was through yeah um you know um uh talking with other people and um yeah so you're doing this you're working at the museum and you decide that you want to go to grad school what what was that decision or 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 what what, what did you want from grad school yeah i mean it was a little bit of like um, a little bit of like um, 
of a, of an eleventh hour. Um, oh really? Like uh, uh, um, crisis of <laughs> just kind of like I was um, I had you know I was in a job that I was at that time was staying at largely because of like a really great and supportive boss who mm-hmm. had my back and um, my boss was moving on really suddenly to another job and all of a sudden I felt really like claustrophobic and a little stuck and I was also extremely drained um, of like trying to from trying to have a day job and do my own work on the side Um, and I think my like uh, in general my self-esteem was just like really low Uh, so I kind of like in an act of desperation, I applied to grad school uh, just because I wanted to know if like, uh, yeah. if I had like reached my limit, yeah. you know, or if there yeah. was still more uh, that I could do, if there were more questions I could ask or if I was like done. Just done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Were you, did you, so did you have, tell me if this is misinterpreting kind of what you just said, but I mean, it, it's it's interesting to me that it, that grad school was almost a way out of the current situation instead of trying to get to something. You didn't have a clear sense of where you wanted to go. Yeah. You just wanted to do something different. Yeah, and I think it was, it was for me, it was a little bit of a, a pragmatic decision because I didn't necessarily feel like I had the skill set to up and move somewhere yeah. else. I didn't yeah. think that like uh, someone would want to hire me. Uh, you know, like I've been doing, like I've been doing largely just print work, basically. At oh, the interesting. Um, and so I felt a little unhirable. So <laughs> it was a way to um, maybe I thought gain some new skills. Yeah. So okay. So you get so you get in. You go to Yale, mm-hmm. um, and this is two years ago now, right? Um, and so you 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 go to New Haven. You pack up, move. What was that like? What ha- can you talk about that experience of kind of getting there, mm-hmm. suddenly being in this new environment? Mm-hmm. I imagine kind of getting accepted and getting there helped with the self esteem. Did wow. you have? Did you have like any sense of like, okay, now now I'm here. Here's what I want to do. Were you kind of like, all right, now what do I do here? What was that? What was that like? Well. Yeah, I mean, actually, because the, I, like, once I got to school, I uh, actually kind of felt like I maybe made a mistake. Okay. Um, Can you talk more about that? Well, because I had, I was really invested in Milwaukee Mm. and uh, the people and relationships and community that I was a part of there. And in some ways, I felt like maybe, like, I'd abandoned some sort of duty I yeah, had or yeah. something. And so there was a little bit of a moment of for the first couple of months of wondering if like I had I cannot tell you how many people I've talked to, myself included, who had that same experience of like you're a month into grad school and you're like, wait a minute, this is not <laughs> I did something wrong. This is not what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um so how do you how do you work that out? Or, or kind of what happened? 
Or how, how let, let me ask it in a better way. How do you kind of like get into the groove of grad school and start to kind of figure out what you were supposed to be doing there? Mm-hmm. Um, well, first off, like, um, there's like the people there were my, all my classmates are, were like so cool and talented and motivated. And so that was huge. I mean, yeah. that was like a, a big reason to, uh, be, be excited about being in school again and recognize the the uh, amazing opportunity that I've been afforded. And also, um, I think that there was, so this is like fall of 2016, um, especially right. Right. Uh, uh, after November, a lot of us, definitely myself included, were kind of reeling from like post-election whiplash. Yeah. yeah. And trying to understand uh, what does it mean to be an artist or designer mm-hmm. now? Right. Why art? Why design? Mm-hmm. Why? Right. Yep. And, yep. Uh, and, you know, kind of feeling a little bit, um, you know, like we were each other's community. We were mm-hmm. all kind of, um, we'd all been like kind of relocated to this new mm-hmm. space together. Yeah and trying to make sense of uh, the world from there, um, I think was a big motivating factor in um, uh, finding out, trying to make work that I actually really cared about rather than work that I thought I should be doing. I want to talk more about that. I have one small question before we kind of get into the work that you ended up making. Can you, I can't, I've talked to a bunch of people who, who were in the Yale MFA at some point, um, but I don't actually know much about the kind of structure or kind of what that environment is actually like. Uh, are there certain classes that you have to take? Is there a, a kind of strict curriculum? What's, you know, how much kind of freedom do you have to be kind of playing with mediums and forms and stuff? What's what's mm-hmm. the, the kind of structure or framework of the department? Mm-hmm. So the program is run by Sheila Lebron de Bradville, and uh, she became the head in 1990. And um, at the time, it was really controversial, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Paul Rand resigned, convinced Armin Hoffman to design to resign, uh, basically because uh, uh, they thought um, Sheila represented postmodernism right. and feminism and right. all the isms that they thought were. Uh, um, totally like perverting modernism yeah. essentially yeah um and but what was incredible was that sheila uh built a program that was much more about the students and their position in the world rather than any sort of like right expectations or projections about the kind of work that they were supposed to be making and so uh, sheila describes the program as being person-centered and so that's the way it really is is um you know, there's certain classes that we're definitely encouraged to take, but there's a lot of freedom to um, take other classes. And being at a university, there's also the benefit of oh, right, taking classes right. outside of uh, the art school, which was essential for me and a lot of other people. And actually, we we have to take at least some classes outside of Okay. Yeah. I mean, so that actually kind of helps set up the next question, which was, you know, kind of where this whole conversation is, is headed is that as somebody who was aware of you and kind of knew your work 
pre-grad school and then all of a sudden I saw the stuff you were doing while you were at Yale it felt like completely different uh -huh. um, and it and it, it felt like as, I mean we've never talked before until today but as someone who's kind of been watching you it felt like suddenly you kind of like figured out what you were supposed to be doing like it, to me as, as, as a viewer it seemed like it made a lot of sense it seemed like this is where you were headed um, and that it wasn't just graphic design but you were doing performance things you were doing video things you were doing um, you know all, all sorts of things um, both stuff that we would call graphic design and stuff that we might not call graphic design how did that how did how did you kind of start to experiment with these things have you done any like video or performance work before yeah. like how, how do you start to kind of you know kind of push what your practice can be yeah um no i hadn't <laughs> okay been doing oh, interesting. Any of that sort of work at all um there i honestly like <laughs> i was not expecting to make the work i I'm making now in any way. I thought I was going to get really good at like web design or something. <laughs> and like for real, like I mean, that's, that's what, what I thought. Like, hey, like I'll go back to school and get some skills and be like really employable. Okay. Um, so I like, <laughs> and then you just did completely the opposite. I mean, okay. I'm like, I, I well, I quickly realized that like I can't web design. <laughs> um, but I think also there is. Uh, there was there was a couple really great moments where well first off we were, uh, we were never expected to have to rationalize or uh, explain our work as being design or as being anything right. specific which was really helpful and also um, there were a couple instances uh, that are like burned into my memory that were really helpful for me when um, some um, advisors and professors kind of like shook me by the shoulders and said like stop making it about design like it doesn't have to be about design oh right it doesn't have to you know there's no client here there's no reason for you to have to set up this sort of uh, uh, relationship ahead of you mm. and then create work for that scenario so uh, it that those were important moments for me that freed me up just to like make work uh, I, that I didn't really know why I was making it. And a, a lot, too, a lot of it was really just, like, um, you know, being encouraged to, like, make and then understand it later. You yeah, know? So yeah, just, yeah. like, I was, you know, there were things that I had been interested. I was interested in, you know, artists who work with garments and uh, and in performance, you know, before I went to grad school. And it was then it was just kind of like synthesizing that into my... Right, because before those things seemed like something that like I would other like people do. Maybe yeah. like made the catalog for right. people or something. Right, right. And I still would. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, you know, I, I, you said something really interesting I want to talk a little more about, about kind of being okay making stuff that you don't know why and then kind of like being able to figure it out later or being able to kind of like think about it after the fact. What was the, what was the kind of, uh, this question sounds overly formal and I don't mean it this way, but like what was the critique format like or how, how, how were you kind of able to 
talk about these things you're making with other people to kind of figure out what they mean or to kind of, you know, dig deeper on them or push them further or that sort of thing? What was, what were those kinds of discussions like? Uh, there was just a lot of like honesty and frankness, I think, um, that helped me, you know, if something like wasn't working, like it wasn't working and people yeah. would tell me or if, you know, um, if people also, a lot of professors had like a lot of great, um, suggestions about other people I should look at and um, yeah it's and you're kind of just like in the soup yeah with all these people making a bunch of stuff and um, it's uh, you, you're kind of you're moving so fast that you're not really realizing like um, what you're doing as you're doing it I don't, I don't mean for this question to sound too too like spiritual uh-huh. um but when you kind of had that realization that like you don't have to just make the catalog for a performance you can actually do the performance or you can make the video or you can make the the, the clothing um did it feel did it kind of click for you when you were doing that you're like oh yeah this is this is something i could do or did it kind of feel like you were doing something else you know like did it did it seem like these ideas these questions these things that you were kind of always thinking about and talking about and even kind of connecting back to the beginning of the conversation when you're talking about how it would often get those discussions would get too theoretical Mm -hmm. when now you're like kind of making work across mediums that are actually like dealing with these questions did it how'd that feel (laughs) I guess is the, the question I mean I think that like even when I look back on the dialogue series uh what i was really uh curious and interested in was uh the effect of uh language on the world at large on ecosystems on communities and on the bodies themselves mm-hmm. and uh the ways that in the you know in the series the way that that designers grappled with that um, but also, I think when I got to school, I was able to kind of like immediately address those some of those questions I had by using my own body, right? Um, and uh, it became a way to uh, it became almost like a uh, like the my body became like a, a experimentation site where I could yeah um, play some of these things out and uh, um, see what stuck. Yeah, one of the things, I watched all the videos on your Vimeo page to prepare for this, and something that I, I, I enjoyed them all, but the one that I just really loved was the, the drawing exercise that mm-hmm. I guess was a response to a Carol Martin's mm-hmm. uh, thing where you're like kind of doing this dance that's then like drawing colors on a screen, mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. I didn't totally understand what it was or, or what it was about, but it made me smile uh-huh. so much. I loved it. I thought oh. it was great. <laughs> um, anyway, I just wanted to, to let you know that I, I really liked that. Um, another part of your practice that I'm really interested in that you, you, you we haven't talked much about, but you kind of have a few mentions of it on your website, and I've seen some, some work about it, is um, in addition to, you know, now that your practice is some video work is performance you're also doing a lot of kind of uh like research and, and writing around things and I'm, I'm wondering if you could kind of talk about 
how you think about kind of the act of research or the act of writing in relationship to no, I, I don't like asking this question this way because it sets them up as, as opposing. I'm, I, I'm really interested in this idea of kind of like research as being also an artistic practice mm-hmm. and is a form of making. And I'm curious how, how research and, and you're doing research on, on like kind of like the queer zine scene. How does that kind of fit in with all of these other things you're doing, I guess is the, yeah. the question. You know what I mean? So I started researching queer anarcho-punk zines in also the fall of 2018, and uh, it started because um, basically I was, there's this like workshop course taught by Rob Wiesenberger um, the first semester, and he's a a historian and uh, educator, professor, um, and he, um, and curator, and he, uh, it was just like a a semester-long workshop course where well, we had to spend time with different uh, printed ephemera from uh, various, mm-hmm. um, like the last number of years, different oh, interesting. Uh, scenes, and um, and the the uh, the university has uh, an incredible collection at the um, at the Beinecke oh, Library yeah. Yeah. of uh, uh, manuscripts and archives, and they. Um, they just have like I mean they have like a Gutenberg Bible and they have like nice. whatever else you know like a bunch of um, situationist stuff and the but uh, I I think like I was also at this time really um, you know because of the political climate yeah like I along with a lot of other people were pretty dissatisfied with the the terms that are kind of um, set up for uh, civic engagement mm-hmm. in our country and um, and this lack of any sort of actual direct um, control over the conditions that right. determine our lives. Yeah. And I was really hungry for um, examples of radical, uh, countercultural, um, historical examples of people who had, right. who've long been struggling with these questions and, uh, and, you know, producing, uh, um, printed material and getting on the streets to do something about it. Right. So, um, I started, at first I started looking at uh, gay and lesbian leftist publications from the okay. 60s and 70s and um, and then uh, started specifically looking at zines from the late 80s and early 90s and it was basically kind of this um, it was this uh, curiosity that snowballed into an obsession so <laughs> yeah. I you know uh, found one zine I think the zine was out punk which is like an important zine um, from San Francisco um, by okay. Matt Wobbensmith and, uh, in the, I think it started in the late 80s or, or like 90, 91. And, um, and, you know, reading that scene and kind of soaking it up and then reading another one of the outpunks and then seeing like, oh, outpunk references this scene. Right. So then right. I looked and found that zine in the, in the library. Yeah. And that scene looked, and so I started to kind of like 
see this network of of um, uh, like-minded right. uh, mm-hmm. anti-assimilationist queers um, who had uh, similar passions and were developing means for both uh, knowing themselves and knowing each other um, mm-hmm. through zines and music. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, I was, uh, I was just really inspired by that yeah, yeah, yeah. and the way that they, um, and also this is like right at the beginning of the internet, uh, or like easy, you know, desktop publishing, right. Right. Uh, those right. kinds of things. So those also fed into the ways that people started to uh, come together and so, so what is this? What's this um, research look like for you now? That it is this obsession. It's, it mm-hmm. seems like it's an ongoing kind of mm-hmm. project. Um, are you? Do, do you want to do something? Kind of. Mm-hmm. Are, are are you kind of doing something with this kind of collection that you're building up? Is this mm-hmm. kind of feeding into other work you're doing? How does how does this all now kind of like fit together? Mm-hmm. So uh, for a long time, this research was kind of just like sitting in the background and I was like, you know, going to the library once a week to look at another zine. Or, okay. And I, um, t- t- for the most part, it was, it was very much a part of my work, but uh, mostly just like um, ideologically informing right. okay. my decisions and yeah, my yeah. interests. Um, not so much uh, actually like reflecting any sort of uh, the um, actual material that I was yeah, dealing yeah. with. And so slowly in the past, like, several months, I've been integrating the research more directly okay. into uh, the work that I'm making. And I'm also working right now on um, uh, a small book with um, uh, Ventriloquist Press. Oh, nice. Um, in Oslo. And I was just there. And I was... Uh, working with Joan Dohia, who runs the... That name sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. So okay. he's actually, he, um, he went, he's a graduate from Yale, too. Oh, okay. He graduated several years ago. Um, and uh, But I'm working with him to, uh, to produce some sort of uh, book that's still kind of um, in process, in, in progress, but it's, I'm kind of thinking about it as a script for a, uh, an oral history or an oral account. Oh, nice. Um, oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, um, it leads into my next question. I don't mean, I hope this isn't too much of a jump, but I'm kind of curious now because you finished school six months ago. What's next? What's like, what's this, what's your practice look like now? How did, how did that experience, I, I mean, you know, how, how do you kind of continue the work that you were doing there in that community? How do you, how do, you do that now? What's, what's mm-hmm. kind of, what's next for you? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like literally just taking it day by day at this point. Um, and I'm uh, uh, just trying to find ways to continue making the work I want to make. And one thing that's awesome about uh, grad school mm-hmm. is that it pro- provides you with the resources and the time yeah. uh, uh, to uh, produce work. Uh, and then you graduate and all those things are gone. Oh, yeah. Um, and so what's kind of nice is that that's all, like, allowed like some of the, the scale of my work to drop way down, um, mm-hmm. which is nice, like, 
to, to like be working on fonts um, or, uh, you know, writing more, which has been great too. Um, yeah, I don't know what's next right now. I'm just... I mean, I, I, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I feel like so much of my, my quote-unquote work now is to try to recreate the grad school experience, but as a, a job that mm -hmm. can be sustainable. Um, so I know, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. That sounds so familiar, and I'm now two years out of it or whatever, and I'm still, still trying to figure it out. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier that you thought maybe you'd go to grad school and you'd learn web design and, mm -hmm. you know, it would make you more employable. And I feel like I talk to so many people, again, I'm including myself, who go to grad school and somehow they come out of it, like, less employable. Oh, I'm, <laughs> you know, like, in the tradition. like, a worse graphic designer <laughs> yeah. than I was when I started. Do you, yeah, I think I am, too. Yeah. And I know a lot of people who are that way also. Do I mean, how do you feel about graphic design? Like, is that even... It, it seems like it would be hard for you to kind of go back to that kind of environment now. Oh, I mean, I'm still like, I'm still like definitely doing like freelance and, you know, it's like, it's, it's still definitely my bread and butter. Um, okay. And I, you know, I still really like that. Uh, I still enjoy that relationship and, and uh, an excuse to work with people who have expert expertise wildly different from you. Right. Is obviously um, a huge draw. For the profession um but uh yeah just like kind of like pushing the limits to see like how much i can get away with that's not what um i've been like trained to see graphic design as yeah and do you think this other work that you're doing whether it's the research work the writing work the performance video stuff i mean even like the the fonts that you do is, is that work either intellectually, ideologically, 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 um, aesthetically, is that filtering back into that kind of client freelance work? Do you see kind of relationships between those things? Or is it very much like, this is paying the bills, graphic design, this is the other stuff? Um, or what's that? Is there any cross-pollination there? Yeah. Well, hopefully no clients are listening to this. <laughs> right. No, just kidding. Um... I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think, I think I've become better at, um, understanding the ways that I can, uh, transmute specific skills into, um, into, like, billable hours, oh, essentially. interesting. And yeah. And save other things, other, you know, in some ways I feel like one thing that, grad school really uh, afforded me was um, a, a, a different level of like um, uh, self-value or self-worth mm. yeah and I kind of got to the point where I realized I didn't want to uh, uh, give any of my best ideas to um, an employer anymore yeah. you yeah. know like it's yeah. I mean it's ultimately for me you know like I know for a lot of people that's uh that's um or they find their fulfillment in being able to yeah and i uh, i think that's i i like i sometimes that yeah i wish that i could just uh um oh yeah i mean i i i am 100 percent 
agree with you. And I, but I am also jealous of the people that can give their best ideas to, yeah. to an employer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I know what you mean. I think, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, I mean, it's something that everyone has to figure out for themselves and to yeah. just determine like the, the set up the conditions that you want to, or manipulate the conditions right. that are, right. that maybe you don't have, uh, direct say over, right. um, but to determine how you want to be in the world and how uh, you want to interact with other people. And yeah, I think for me, I've just realized that um, it's, I've, I'm, I'm, way, I'm personally way more fulfilled when I can pour all my, and a lot of the stuff, like a lot of the you know, ideas that I end up, like you know, most of the stuff that I made during grad school, like, is invisible. No one's. Oh, yeah. No one will see it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like, ideally, that's the way that it goes. Is that, and it's the same with like, um, with client work too. I mean, so much yeah. of the work that we do. Yeah. We don't show anyone. Yeah. Like, there's like, you know, like, obviously, like it's, 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 it. But also, I think that it's healthy to be, uh, just consistently producing a lot of work in a way that. Um, allows the best work to rise to the surface instead of having to always just do your best work. I think that is actually a great way to think about that. That's that's really smart. What are the subjects or topics that you're thinking about now, or that's that you're kind of uh, spending time working on and thinking about? So specifically with like uh, the queer anarcho punk zine history, uh, I have a lot of questions about what. Uh, queer lineage looks like. Um, I wonder what it means to not have access to conventional heteronormative uh, patriarchal modes of passing down of mm. of, um, of uh, inheritance. Mm-hmm. Um, That's interesting. And uh, this is a question that I have that makes me wonder what right I have to this material in some ways because you know a lot I mean now like I've I've, like met some of these people that I've I'm doing research on and um, and and their work and but uh, in a lot of ways you know I'm looking at documents from strangers Mm -hmm. 30 years ago Mm -hmm. um, that I feel a sort of kinship with but don't uh, don't have any direct line or access to. Right. So I'm curious about the ways that um, um, the ways that uh, uh, our understanding of reproduction um, figures into uh, what gets passed down, um, what becomes dominant, yeah. um, and what uh, and ways to like circumvent that and you know, maybe, uh, uh, yeah, so I, those are just some questions I have, I think, about, uh, that I'm trying to work through right now about, like, what it means to um, live with this stuff now. I'm curious, and you've mentioned a couple people throughout, but are there any writers, artists, designers, books that have really influenced you and how you think about kind of all of this stuff and 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 the way you kind of view and think about your work right now i'm reading a book called orality and literacy uh by carl j ong yeah 
It's great. That's one of those that's been on my list forever, and I just haven't picked it up yet. It's, he's a fantastic writer, and it's really easy to work through because um, the language is plain, and also he's excited about it, so you're excited about it reading it. Nice. But uh, he talks, he, he was kind of like the first to, um, to talk about uh, oral culture in a way that wasn't patronizing or that didn't uh-huh. treat literacy as an, as an inevitability. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm thinking about uh, other ways of building up meaning um, and, and artists and designers who, um, who uh, and writers who ask those questions. I mean, I'm looking a lot right now at the work of uh, philosophers and artists um, in the late 60s in Brazil. Um, oh, interesting. During the beginning of the military dictatorship and specifically um, the the ways that they were, I mean, a lot of, because a lot of, you know, artists, for example, were coming out of a sort of like modernist tradition and all of a sudden, like, it just didn't matter right. anymore. Right. You know, it didn't, yeah. it just, it didn't make sense to be making that work. Uh, just because of the place that they were at. And so uh, a lot of them really interestingly turned to performance and uh, garment making as uh, as a way to um, wrestle with this and to consider maybe alternative ways of relating to each other. Yeah. Um, And like the philosopher uh, Paulo Freire. Oh, yeah. uh, Who... um, was that Pedagogy of the Oppressed? Yes. Is that him? Yeah, yeah. And he writes about literacy as a, uh, as a means for uh, collective liberation and mm. uh, individual autonomy. Yeah. And the way that he understands literacy is that, um, and not just, you know, I think later on in his career too, he was backing away from just like literacy, meaning like learning how to read and write uh, literally, you know, mm-hmm. right. to backing out, just like learning how to uh, read and rewrite the world. Yeah. And he yeah, was yeah. understanding how, um, for example, um, how if you, uh, if, if people can learn how to first read the world, then you can equip them to rewrite it. Right. Um, I love that. And, uh, and really putting the, um, uh, the, power and agency in the hands of the people rather than uh, uh, prescribing a, a, a specific way of engaging in the world. I love that. I actually like, I feel like that actually really kind of sums up a lot of kind of how, how I at least see your work. And I, I think how you even talk about your work in this conversation. And in a strange way, it kind of brings us all the way back to, to alphabet artists. So it's a nice, nice way to, to wrap this up. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This episode was recorded on November 15th, 2018 in New York City. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.